Like Ian said, the people who really love Jesus, they come to early service on time change. You're getting the better mansions in heaven. It's in the Bible somewhere. I know that it is. Both those who are live, those who are joining us online, thank you for getting up early. Just in the comments, just say, I'm up or something like that. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. So good to see you. So glad you're here to worship. Uh, apologies to those of you who don't like this show or don't watch this show. But uh, a few episodes ago on This Is Us, Kevin is trying to get to uh, the birth of his, his, uh, his twins and uh, he's explaining to this random stranger, it would take way too long to set the scene up, but he's talking to this random stranger about his dad, and he was trying to explain how his dad was always there for him, especially for his family. He was always present. He was always at the special events, and he, Kevin's now trying to get at this huge moment, trying to be present for this huge moment in his own life. And he's talking about how his dad was always there, and he made this comment. He said, my dad was the most there person that has ever lived. My dad was the most there person. He was always present. He was always there. You know people like that? You know people who just have a way of being present, being there, being in the moment, being with you? Um, not, not necessarily to correct you, not, not necessarily to tell you what you're doing wrong. That can be helpful. We need guidance. But, but there's something powerful, there's something beautiful about people who can just be in the moment with you as a support to you. They can be there. They can be present. It, it may be easier to think of people who can't do that, right? People who, even when they're present, tend to be distracted. We're all probably guilty of that to some degree, uh, we're with someone, but our mind's somewhere else. We're not really focusing in on that person. We're all guilty of that to some degree. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you find somebody who loves you enough, cares about you enough, that they can just be present with you. They can just be there. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 11, so much has happened in this story. The, the wall has been built. Uh, the people have engaged in a time of covenant renewal where they've confessed their sins. They've, they've brought their hearts and their minds back to the Word of God. They've, they've been overwhelmed by the power and the message of the Word of God. They've affirmed that we want to obey the Word of God. Uh, they've prayed. Uh, they, they've, they've thought about how great God is and all the good things that He has done for them. It's, it's been a great great series of events, but now that the wall has been completed, the city, need, the city needed people who would stay, people who would be there, not people who would just show up and do a few things and then leave. The city needed hearts and hands and feet and neighbors. Uh, the, the, the city needed merchants and shoppers the city needed the heartbeat that a wall can't provide, stuff can't provide. People needed to live there, stay there. This is how chapter 11 begins, Nehemiah chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. They stayed. They put roots down. 
they lived there. And, and we've said this in a number of ways all throughout this series. I'm going to say at least one more time right here. Leaders go first into the hard places. Leaders go first. When, when the city needed people to stay for the long term, it's the leaders we read about in chapter 11 who said, we'll stay. We're going to stay. We're going to be here. We're going to be present. And that wasn't going to be easy. Uh, as we've said, there's still a lot of rubble in Jerusalem. We've already read homes haven't been rebuilt. There, there's still chaos. It, it's not normal living yet in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was still a prime target for enemies. Uh, if there was one place the enemies of Israel would want to attack, that would be the place. So there were still some threats, even with the wall uh, in place. It was not going to be easy but the leaders stayed. The leaders were going to have to be a part of, of just bringing some semblance of normalcy back to the city, right? Neighbors knowing neighbors and kids going to school and just the normal everyday activities. As Jerusalem was rebuilding all of that, the leaders said, we're willing to do it. It's not going to be easy. It would not always be comfortable. It definitely would not always be convenient. Some of them were having to relocate from the places they had known, where they had lived, and settle down into this very important place. They were willing to stay. What Jerusalem needed, we've said this before, they didn't just need a wall. They needed life. They needed people. Chapter 11 continues. The rest of the people <clears throat> cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So 10% of the people were chosen. We don't know how many of them volunteered and how many of them were drafted and selected, but, but the people all celebrated these are people who are going to stay. These are people who are going to live here. They're going to bring life back here. They're willing to make the sacrifice to live in what was going to be a hard place. Now, here's the contrast I want to camp out on for a little while this morning. There is a difference <clears throat> between working on and living in. There's a difference between working on and living in. I am not criticizing working on. There are times when it's the right thing to do to go work on something and then go back home, to show up for a day or to show up for a few hours, to go somewhere and work on something. But working on is often different from living in. I'm going to settle down in this Community. I'm not just working on this. I live here. I care about all that's happening in this community. I didn't just pop in for one little project. Again, I try not to be critical of working on. There are times working on is the right approach. There are times that working on is all we can offer to a specific situation. But there's just a difference between working on and living in. Now, working on can be a part of living in. 
We can go somewhere and say, I'm working on this because I live in this community. I live in this area. I live with these people. And we're going to work on this part as one small piece of the fact that we live in this community. The the Old Testament and the New Testament, in, in somewhat different ways, the Old Testament and the New Testament both emphasize this idea of community, uh, this idea of being in a city, having a place. A lot of the books in the New Testament are written for cities, places where people lived, where the church gathered. The, the Bible is very much a living in book. Well, we've talked about the fact that God is very much a living in, a dwelling in, dwelling with God, way back in Genesis, he comes and walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? He's there. He shows up. Um, In the wilderness, God is there in a pillar of fire at night, a cloud by day. That was his presence. That was God saying, you're not alone. I'm not distant. I'm here. I'm with you. He was there. They constructed the tabernacle while they were wandering in the wilderness as a visible representation that our God is here. He's not off in some distant place. God is with us. We can see this representation of His power, of His work, of His love and grace towards us. God gave them symbols in sacrifices and rituals and worship acts that demonstrated to them, reminded them, God is here. God's not just working on us, He's dwelling with us. We're not just a project to God, we are God's people. God uses that language all throughout the Old Testament. You're my people, this is my people. Israel, you're my people. We are a people, we are in community together, and God dwells with us. The permanent temple comes along. Again, as an example, God is with us. God is here. He's living with us. He's not showing up and working on us every once in a while. God's living life with us. And when the people came to the temple, they were reminded of that. The roles of the prophets and the priests and the kings, they were messengers from God. They delivered words from God that reminded the people, God's speaking to us. He's not only here, but he has something to say to us. We're in conversation with God. We're hearing from God. Back up to Moses when God gives the Ten Commandments. Same thing. God was saying, I have a word for you. I'm in conversation with you. This is how the law became. This is how we're going to live together. This is how community is going to work. Because I want us to work to live together. I want to be with you. In in. Prior to Nehemiah, uh, Haggai and Zechariah come along and the temple has been destroyed and they encourage the people. We got to rebuild the temple. Why? Because that reminds us God is with us. God dwells here. If you're reading along in our daily Bible reading on our Facebook page, we're working our way through Zechariah right now, which has been kind of an interesting journey. But in chapter 8, God says to his people as they're rebuilding the temple, God, this is what the Lord says, Zechariah 8.3, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Zechariah 8.3, I will dwell 
in Jerusalem. I'm coming to stay. I'm coming to live. I'm coming to be with you. I'm not just going to work on you. I'm going to be with you. It's it's kind of a, a beautiful thought that we aren't a project to God. You ever feel like somebody's project? You ever feel like somebody's trying to fix you? And they don't re- they're not really invested in you. They just want to fix you in a way that will make them happy about you. Is really what they're trying to do. You're not a project to God. God wants to live with you. He wants to live in you. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to go through life with you. That's the God that we serve. As we, as we get into the New Testament and we meet Jesus, He is God physically come to live among us. We use the word incarnate, God in the flesh. Even that word tabernacle is is sometimes alluded to in Jesus. He is the visible tabernacle. He's the dwelling of God among us. He came to be with us. He came to live with us, not to work on us, to be with us. John chapter 1, verse 14 The Word, John's word for Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among among us. That's that tabernacle word. He he came to settle down here, to be in community with us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made His dwelling here. He lived with us. I rarely use that verse when I don't think of the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. Peterson paraphrases the verse this way, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He moved into the neighborhood with us. He was one of us. He walked where we walked. And John 1 says that we saw him, we got it, we understood when he came to live with us. There was an example that we could look at, right? this, this incarnational, this God coming into our life. That's when we saw what it was all about. That's when we understood this is grace and truth. This is God. And now, in some ways, Jesus has left that sort of ministry with us. This incarnational, this how do we bring God into where we live? Not just the projects we engage in, but as we're living with people, living in a neighborhood walking the halls of a school, being at our job. How do we live in the Spirit of God in our community? That's what Jesus challenges us to do. Some of you are familiar with um, Jim and Melinda Hollingsworth at the PATH Project. Some of you have served with them volunteered with them. I, I saw an interview with them, a, a, a video clip, just a couple of months ago. And it was, it was so on point of what we're talking about today that I was able to find a, a similar video of them and use it this morning. So I want you to watch this. My wife and I got started at 
So sixth grade Sophia had seen enough people come and work on her area and leave that she was perceptive enough to ask Melinda one day, when are you going to leave? Because that's what people do. They come and they work on us for a little while and then they disappear. And as you heard Melinda say, she went home and told Jim, we can never leave. We can never leave. We're going to stay. There's a difference between working on, and there's times working on is the right thing, but there's just a difference between working on and saying, I'm going to live in the city. I'm going to live within the walls. I'm going to keep showing up. I don't, I don't know what all of the benefits are going to be, but I'm just going to keep showing up and keep showing up. And Path has been doing that. Sherry Shearer is in our church who served. She was in, uh, on the video uh, a couple of times. Um, some of you have volunteered. We can connect you if you want to volunteer with Path. They have some, uh, actually some staff positions that are open right now. If you're interested in that, we can connect you with them. But as the church... As, as individual believers, there needs to be places where we're not merely showing up, but we're living in. We're living in. And all of our working on is a part of living in. It's a, it's a part of being a part of the community. Being a part of where you live, your neighborhood, your school, your job, your kids' sports teams. I'm going to live there. I, I'm not going to just show up and get in a few hours because it makes me feel better. I, I, I'm not going to just show up and get my beta hours. Right, students? I'm not going to just show up and check off my community service checklist. I'm going to find a place where there's need, where I can serve, and I'm going to live in that place. I'm going to show up consistently again and again. I'm going to say to that area of my life, I'm here to stay. I'm here to be. I'm here to live. So that the people in that area see Jesus through you. Remember John chapter 1, we have seen. We have finally seen. Why? Because Jesus lived in. Jesus lived among us. Who is seeing Jesus because you live among them? Who is understanding grace and truth because you just keep showing up where others leave? The other ministries that we support uh, here in our church, um, uh, they're ministries that live in. Now we, we look for ministries that don't just kind of bounce around and do little things here and there. We look for ministries that plant and stay and they show up again and again and again and they live in. You and I need to find a place to stay. That's my challenge this morning. Where is that place for you? I know it's maybe still a little bit difficult as we're coming out of the pandemic, but we are coming out. Right? There are better days ahead in the months that are coming we're going to be able to move around more. We're going to be able to get more places. When that happens, what is going to be that place for you? You're going to show up and you're going to stay and you're going to serve. And it will not always be easy and it will not always be convenient. 
There will be rubble and there will be debris and chaos. But part of what God may call some of you to do is to bring normalcy back to some areas where there's chaos right now. To bring security back where there's chaos right now because you choose to live in and not just work on. As we move into chapter 12 of Nehemiah, here's what happens. We'll cover this quickly. The people honor the past and celebrate the present. After they have this big meeting and say, look, somebody's got to live in here. Somebody's got to stay. We can't all abandon what we've built. Somebody has to stay. Then they have this huge celebration. And part of the celebration is to honor the past and then celebrate the present. This is the beginning of chapter 12. These were the priests and the Levites who returned with Zerubbabel and Sheltiel and with Joshua. Now, Zerubbabel, Sheltiel, and Joshua, they came back to Jerusalem about 100 years before this. They were the initial wave of exiles to come back. And as they're getting ready to celebrate all of the good things that God has been doing, Nehemiah refocuses their heart on how they got here. Nehemiah says, let's not just celebrate what has happened for us. Let's remember that we have been building on the shoulders of people who came before us. There are people who paved the way for us to be here. There are people who did a lot of work before we ever showed up on the scene. Let's remember what came before us. If we're not careful... Success in any endeavor will cause us to look at ourselves. When we get the wall built, there's a tendency to step back and go, look how great we are. Look at this great thing that we did. And Nehemiah wisely says, what you've done is great. What you've, what you've done is, was necessary. But let's not forget, the building didn't start with us. A hundred years before we showed up, there were people who were faithful. Let's honor them. Let's honor the people who came before us. Here's an important principle for us. Success in our lives should remind me of those who helped me succeed. Basking in the glow of my own success is a lonely way to live. It's a short-sighted way to live. So as we draw to the end of this story, and and there's lots to celebrate, Nehemiah reminds them, there are people who came before us, let's honor them, let's remember them. In my spiritual life, in my personal life, I'm where I am today because I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people who came before me, a lot of people who mentored me and helped me people who have been building churches and the church for a long time. We we stand in line with people who helped us get to this place. Then, after they honor the past, they honor those who came before them, they celebrate what's just happened in front of them. The rest of chapter uh, 12 uh, beginning in verse 27, they, they dedicate the wall. And they, they dedicate it with this huge party, this huge celebration. 
They get musicians and singers and they divide them into groups and they put them up on the wall. And Nehemiah says, okay, group A, you're going to go that way around the wall. And group B, you're going to go that way around the wall. And you're going to play and you're going to sing with everything that you have because we are going to celebrate all that we've experienced, all that God has done for us, all of the difficulties, everything we pushed through. We're going to take a minute and we're going to celebrate what's happened. Here's something you know I'm just here to remind you of. We need times of celebration in our life. And that should be its own message. Like we should spend a a whole day. But we have got to finish this book before Palm Sunday. Okay, so I'm just going to hit this. We're going to finish next week and then it's going to be Palm Sunday. and We're not going to be in Nehemiah anymore. So we're not going to give a whole day to this. But let me encourage you as if we did. We need to laugh, we need to sing, we need to prioritize joy. That's, that's one, one of the passages uh, there in Nehemiah, verse, uh, verse 27. They were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. They were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. We're going to be happy about this. We're going to find cause to celebrate. And this happens multiple times in the Old Testament. We've seen it in Nehemiah. Often the leaders of the celebration have to say to everybody, look, nobody gets to be sad today. I'm sorry. You don't get to be. You can go back to being sad next week. Nobody gets to be sad today. We're celebrating today. Nobody gets to be mad. Nobody gets to have their feelings hurt today. Nobody gets to be grumpy. We are here to celebrate. So we need that. And I just want to encourage you on a personal level, as as well as a spiritual level, but just on a personal level, as we're moving into spring and as we're hopefully moving out of what we've experienced this last year, let yourself be glad. Let yourself find joy. And and, and I, I want to be careful because... People have experienced a range of losses and heartache. This is not to diminish any of that. This is to say, man, we've been through a hard year. We have been through a lot. So much has changed. So so many times we've been unsure and unnerved. So, So many times we've not known what to do. We've we've gotten sideways with each other. Give yourself permission to just be happy for a little while in the months that are coming up. Spring is arriving. We can be outside together. We can celebrate together. Easter is almost here. We're planning some events in April and leading into the summer just just to give us an opportunity to hang out and be together and celebrate and sing And just be happy. Give yourself permission to do that. Coming out of this season, you you don't have to enter into this next season trying to figure out how many scores you need to settle after the past year. You really don't. You, You don't need to try to figure out how many people you need to straighten out. We've all had a rough year. We've all carried burdens this year. Give yourself and give other people, 
the freedom to just be happy about how things are right now. Just, just to find joy in the fact that we're coming into better days. The Bible does this so consistently with the people of Israel. Stop what you're doing and celebrate. Stop what you're doing and be happy. It's not denying reality to say there are some things to be really happy about these days. There are things to truly celebrate these days. And so that's my other challenge to you. It's okay to be happy in the months that are coming. It's okay to move beyond what we have experienced the last year and experience the joy of the Lord, the joy of being together again with people that we haven't seen in a long time. It's okay to overlook some things that people said and did in this past year. It's okay to do that. And just find joy that God is good, that he is rebuilding us, and that he is with us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you live with us. We're not just your pet project that you're working on. You're dwelling with us. Help us to find places to live in as we come out of this pandemic. And maybe it's our neighborhood. Maybe this renews our commitment to knowing our neighbors and serving our neighbors and loving our neighbors and introducing our neighbors to Jesus. Maybe it's in our schools or in our job. Maybe we begin to view our kids' sports team as a, a place to live in. Not just to show up every once in a while, but to be sensitive to the, the needs of the other parents and the other families and see how you might use us if we agree to, to live in that arena. And then I pray that you would give us hearts of joy. Hearts of celebration. That in some ways, we would be able to lay down some of the burdens that we have carried this past year. Just lay them down. We don't have to carry them forward. We don't have to straighten everybody out or prove to everybody that we were right. We can just celebrate. We can have joy. That life is, well, it's tilting back towards normal. And you have been faithful through it all. Every step, every week, you have been faithful through this whole year. Teach us to celebrate. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.